Some years ago, Pope Benedict XVI caused some consternation when he suggested that the Catholic Church might profit in some way from being reduced in size. And this was read in some circles as an instance of defeatism or perhaps on the other side, elitism or a return to a papal fortress mentality of the 19th century and a repudiation of the open window policy of Vatican II and so on and so forth. In any case, it was not a very popular thing that he said. More recently, I've read some Catholic commentators uh, pitting Pope Francis against Pope Benedict on this point, seeing that the present pontificate is supposedly more welcoming, uh, aimed at bringing estranged Catholics back to the altar and softening the demarcating lines between Christian communions, in other words, promoting a larger church rather than sort of settling or, you know, uh, easing into a smaller church. In my opinion, my humble opinion, um, seeing the ideas of these two men as opposed is actually a mistake. I'll explain why after I look at today's readings. Last week, we find the Lord preaching on the Sabbath in the synagogue, and there he was rejected. He was doing all the institutionally correct things last week, showed up at the regular time for services, on the conventional day, at the conventional place. The people who tried to kill him were also engaged in the proper institutional forms. Uh, They went to the sacred place on the sacred day and fulfilled their duty to God by being there. Today, by contrast, our Lord appears uh, somewhat strangely, if you take the time to think about the circumstances of this morning's gospel. He's at the shore of Lake Genesaret, the Sea of Galilee. It's early morning. The fishermen are coming in from a late night's work, cleaning up their nets, getting ready to stow them, put them away, disappointed. It's almost certainly not the Sabbath if they're working, because the Sabbath would have begun the night before. Who are these people that are crowding in so much on the Lord around the lake at this unusual site at this odd time? Now, it's important for me to say I doubt that this group of people is made up of those who avoid the synagogue. I'm not saying that that's who they are. Uh, but the distance in this particular story from any institutional setting is suggestive. So let me cut to the chase. God reveals himself to us in a variety of ways, and he's not at all limited by the forms that we observe in our lives. Um, In some cases, when God reveals himself to us, it's a matter of comfort, and we are celebrating this throughout the year of mercy, that God reveals himself as merciful, forgiving, loving to us. This is a comfortable thing and a good thing. Uh, Peter experiences this forgiveness at the end of the gospel. But we should be wary and recognize that not every comfort that we experience comes from God. It's possible to be comfortable in a situation that is not of God's making. And sometimes it's imperative for God to jolt us out of comfort, to remind us that he is not bound by our perception of order, or nor has he promised us that life will be comfortable if we serve him, if we follow him. And sometimes it's the case, and not always, but often enough, that the institutions that we uh, institute bring the wrong kind of comfort. 
They bring a comfort that makes us forget the goal of the institution. The brothers know what I'm talking about. I, I stress this a lot. Um, I'll skip my example of the chess club because uh, they've heard it too many times. Let me use standardized testing. Um, the stated goal of a school is to teach children, educate. Standardized testing is an institutionalized way of gauging whether we're actually fulfilling this task if the goal is being met. But we all know that once we institute schools and standardized testing, that the goal subtly shifts from actually making sure that children learn something to making sure their test scores are good. And what happens once financial aid gets tied to increasing test scores? Then there's an incentive to cheat. There's an incentive to focus all our attention on this one little aspect that's not really education anymore. Uh, we all know that, that this happens. It doesn't mean we close the schools. It doesn't mean the institution is bad. It's just that we have to evaluate whether the institution is serving the goal regularly. We have to ask ourselves tough questions whenever we have a human institution of some kind. So the synagogue, like the church, contains institutional forms. And these are instituted because we want to encounter God. We want to come together to support each other, encourage one another in our search for God. And after all, God has called us into this assembly, you know. Uh, this is willed by God. But there is this human element to what we do together, and it's possible that institutions hinder this encounter. We, for, can, we can forget that God can act outside of uh, what we recognize as the institution and can act in surprising ways. And again, this is in no way to suggest that the institution is optional. Um, as I said, I think the persons who are at the lake this morning are, are regular synagogue goers. And it's probably at the synagogue that they have generated this greater desire to seek for God, and which has disposed them to seek and find the divine presence in Jesus of Nazareth. But this group does represent a kind of remnant, a kind of winnowing of Israel. And as such, uh, it's a group of people more likely to be aware of their profound need of God. Uh, it's possible that there's not very much comfortable about their lives. At the beginning of a work day, and instead of going off to work, they're standing around by the lake. This winnowing is carried even further into a personal level in the person of Peter. Peter, the professional fisherman, can't even come up with a single fish in a whole night of strenuous toil. And when the Lord tells him to lower the nets, uh, he could easily have gotten sore with the Lord. I think he's actually a little bit sarcastic because when he says, Master, uh, I'll do what you say, uh, he uses this word epistata, which is like foreman. Yeah, okay, you're going to be the fisherman foreman? Fine, I'll lower the nets. And then when the, he catches him, he changes to curie, he changes to Lord. So he realizes that he's made a mistake here. But, you know, he's just putting his stuff away for the day. <laughs> And he has to get it all back out and throw it in the water. But the catch helps him to realize how low he's been brought by his own failure. And it reinforces the message that God is really present in a way, a place that he probably never expected, in his own work, in his own trade. And it's his shocking awareness of his insufficiency that prepares him then to become a real apostle. Only when he's ready to depend on God and God alone can he be fitted for the mission. And the difficulty is that this requires an acknowledgement of my own deficiency and sinfulness. 
When my routines, my institutions are successful, it's easy to imagine that I've stumbled on the right formula. For you know, all growth is going to be linear, off into the foreseeable future, greater and greater success is coming my way. And, of course, it's easy to pay lip service to God's help and oversight in these situations, but hard not to let this go to our heads. We get used to the idea that success is a matter of getting the formulas right, playing by the rules, doing everything like that. But this can blind us to the unconventional ways that God can and does act. The Holy Spirit moves as he wills. And so I believe that both Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and Pope Francis are acknowledging this reality in their own unique ways, that all of us must be ready to take a chance on God, to trust God, to have faith. And sometimes this requires us to let go of certain things, certain comforts, even institutional forms that have worked in the past, to let go of the sign markers of success, like increased numbers and beautiful buildings and artwork, and humble ourselves before God so that he can take the initiative. This is why we need real monks and nuns in the church, those who will really leave everything behind. And we have to make sure that our monasteries are places where we won't confuse the pursuit of God uh, with the pursuit of the comfort of a well-tended and endowed institution. And we need monks and nuns to be sure, but this isn't limited to us in the cloister. A willingness to be unsettled and a willingness to hold tight to the Lord in faith will benefit all of us here and eventually make us brighter lights because God's power then will be shining through our lives and not our own sufficiency. God's ability to create something out of nothing and fill our nets when our expertise fails, this will shine forth in the church, and this divine light will be a much greater tool for the new evangelization than any shoring up of our institutions will be. And in fact, this abandonment to God is precisely what will bring about the renewal and restoration of all necessary institutions.